Well, good evening. As many of you know, every June here at the Oldham Lane Church of Christ, we bring in uh, 25 young men from all over the United States who come here to learn the uh, art of preaching. And it has been a real treat to get to work with these young men uh, over the last several years. Something that we are going to do uh, during the year in future years to come is giving these young men an opportunity here and there to, uh, to show what they've learned and to uh, practice um, preaching and hopefully to prepare them to go out into the real world and preach. Um, I feel very strongly, and thankfully our elders do as well, our staff does, that uh, we need to be training the next generation of preachers. Uh, more and more are leaving uh, the vocation of preaching and fewer are entering. And so we want to do our part to take the extremely talented young men that we have here and to train them so that they can go out and preach. Now, we tell them all the time, you have to preach. You don't have to do it for a living and to get paid to do it, but you have to do it. Because all the men that come through our preacher training camp are talented and qualified enough that uh, we can't let them rest until they understand that they need to be using this talent and ability for God. And so whether they're at a congregation of 20 people where they have to do everything on a Sunday, including preaching, or whether they go into it as a full-time profession, we want them to understand uh, the gift that they have and to use it for the Lord. And so a few weeks ago, uh, it was presented as an opportunity to our young men. Um, two of them took us up on that opportunity. Zane and Austin will be preaching to you tonight. This will not be the last time that our young men have the opportunity, as we said. Uh, two more will be doing this uh, next year and, and two more after that. And so we're going to continually give them opportunities uh, as we go along, not just one time a year, but you know, hopefully a few times a year, and then also at our preacher training camp. So uh, Austin is going to preach first. The topic tonight that they have been given is uh, the fruit of the Spirit. Austin's going to zero in more on the fruit of the flesh. Austin Petrie is a junior at Wiley. Um, he's also a fairly new Christian. How long has it been, Austin? About a year or two? So... Uh, that's exciting, and he does a fantastic job. And then uh, the next one I know fairly well, Zane, is uh, a senior at Wiley, and uh, he is going to focus more on the fruit of the Spirit. So I'm going to turn it over to them. I will wrap it up at the end. Austin. Good evening, church. Tonight I want to start off during the year of 1942. In Eastern Europe, Nazi Germany and the Soviet Union began to have war tensions. And in August, Germany invaded the Russian city Stalingrad. The fierce five-month battle is known as the bloodiest battle in world history. The casualties amounted to nearly two million lives, including many civilians. The opposition that Germany and the Soviet Union had against each other in the 40s is considered to be one of the greatest controversies in history. But above all other rivalries comes the opposition of the fruit of the flesh and the fruit of the spirit. Galatians 5.17 states, For the desires of the, of the spirit are against the flesh, for these are opposed to each other, to keep you from doing the things you want to do. The flesh is an everyday opponent we face, and it may be difficult to succeed and persevere through the challenges we encounter. Tonight I'm focusing on the passage Galatians 5.19-21, through 21, which reads, now the works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissentations, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. 
I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. In this passage, Paul describes some of the characteristics of the flesh, such as jealousy and impurity. And as an effect, those who take part in these things will not inherit the kingdom of God. The most precious thing that we can strive for. For biblical example, Adam and Eve were put on earth as pure humans. But when tempted by the flesh, each of them sinned. So God took nearly everything away from them. And for another example, in 1 Samuel, Saul spares Agag and the best of the Amalekites' livestock after he defeats their army. God saw this as a direct disobedience and seized Saul's empire and kingdom from his grasp and gave it to David, the man after God's own heart. As a result of these events, God took away almost everything from these people due to their values of the flesh. A few years ago, my mom and I were talking about politics, as I usually do, and she mentioned a man by the name of Paul Harvey. Many of you may know who he is. Paul Harvey was an American radio commentator and a national news broadcaster. In 1965, he wrote a speech which outlined the years to come. The speech was named, If I Were the Devil. We listened to the speech and it was mind-boggling to me. When I read this to you all, remember, it was written in 1965. If I were the devil, if I were the prince of darkness, I'd want to engulf the whole world in darkness, and I would have a third of its real estate and four-fifths of its population. But I wouldn't be happy until I seized the ripest apple on the tree, thee. So I would set about however necessary to take over the United States. I'd subvert the churches first. I'd begin with a campaign of whispers, with the wisdom of a serpent, I would whisper to you as I whispered to Eve, do as you please. To the young, I would whisper that the, God, the, the Bible is a myth, and I would convince them that man created God instead of the other way around. I would confide that, that what, good, what bad is good and what good is square. And the old, I would teach to pray after me, our Father, which art in Washington. And then I'd get organized, I'd educate authors in how to make lurid literature exciting so that anything else would appear dull and uninteresting. I'd make TV look worse than movies and make movies look worse than TV in a vicious cycle that gets worse and worse. I'd peddle narcotics to whomever I could. I'd sell alcohol to ladies and gentlemen of distinction, and I'd tranquilize the rest with pills. If I were the devil, I'd soon have families at war with themselves, churches at war with themselves, and nations at war with themselves until each in its turn was consumed. And with promises of higher ratings, I'd have mesmerizing media fanning the flames. If I were the devil, I would encourage schools to refine young intellects but neglect to discipline emotions and let those run wild until, before you knew it, you'd have to have drug-sniffing dogs and metal detectors at every schoolhouse door. Within a decade, within a decade I've had prisons overflowing. I'd have judges promoting pornography. Soon I could evict God from the courthouse and then from the schoolhouse and then from the houses of Congress. And each in its turn, and in his own churches, I would substitute psychology for religion and deify science. I would lure priests and pastors into misusing boys and girls and church money. If I were the devil, I'd make the symbol of Easter an egg and the symbol of Christmas a bottle. If I were the devil, I would take from those who have and give it to those who wanted until I killed the incentive of the ambitious. And what would you bet that I couldn't get whole states to promote gambling as the way to get rich? I would caution against the extremes in hard work and patriotism and moral conduct. I would convince the young that marriage is old-fashioned, that swinging is more fun, that what you see on TV is the way to be. 
and, the, and, this, and thus I could undress you in public, and I could lure you into bed with diseases for which there is no cure. In other words, if I were the devil, I'd just keep right on doing what he's doing. I don't know if you realized it, but uh, that's exactly what's happening today. All these aspects of future society that Paul Harvey stated are considered to be the fruit of the flesh. Church, don't give in to these actions and beliefs. Romans chapter 8, verses 7 through 8 states, For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. We are faced with this adversity every day, and we must overcome this war we have, we are, have against the flesh. The first step we have to take to overcome this trial is reading the Word of God. We are beyond lucky to have this book available to us, and we must grasp this opportunity. This book is our life, and in order to fully understand both the fruit of the flesh and the Spirit, we have to start reading. Secondly, the fruit of the flesh will never have power over us unless we give over our power to it. Ephesians chapter 6, verses 12 states, For we wrestle not against the flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. With that being said, if I were personally the devil, I would try to blind you of the truth that God loves you unconditionally and he will never give up on you. And lastly, no one is perfect. We have all fallen into this flesh, but every drop of Jesus' blood represents the forgiveness God offers. Jesus, God's only son, was sent down from heaven for the forgiveness of our sins. <coughs> Ephesians 4 Verse 32 says, And be ye kind to another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. Jesus Christ paid the ultimate sacrifice for you and me, and we must be eternally grateful. If you are looking to overcome your fruit of the flesh, or if you haven't found this walk with God, please do not leave without coming forward and having us help you find your path. Thank you. Hello, is this on? Is this working good? Okay, so we're going to start off with a little illustration. I have a cup of coffee. I put the coffee in there, so it's coffee. Um, I go about my day, I still got my cup of coffee, and at some point in the day I trip and fall. What's going to come out of that cup? Well, it's probably going to be coffee because I didn't put anything else in there. I didn't put water in there, I didn't put tea in there, it's just coffee. And we can apply that to our daily lives whenever we start letting things come into our head. We put the things into our head that we think should be there. We don't let other people put things into our head unless we think it should be there as well. And so whatever we put into our head is what we will get out. And uh, that is the basis of uh, these fruits of the flesh and fruits of the spirit. And so uh, Galatians 5.22, uh, we just read it a moment ago, the fruits of the spirit are love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things, there are, there are no law. And so to, to see where we are at standing with these uh, fruits of the Spirit, then we have to ask, what, what are we producing? Are we producing good fruit? Are we producing bad fruit? And so let's turn over to Matthew chapter 7, verse 18. And let's, let's read something that Jesus has to say about this. So he says, uh, starting in verse 16, you will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? 
So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. And so most of us uh, don't like to uh, admit that we produce bad fruit sometimes. We like to keep that hidden. We like to keep that inside of us and not let anyone else see it. But how can we knowingly produce that bad fruit uh, and be okay with it? Because that goes directly against God. It goes directly against the Holy Spirit. And so why do we think we can do that? Well, as Austin was saying, we live in a, in a culture that promotes these bad things uh, very well. So we take these things uh, that aren't good for us and we start thinking, man, these aren't so bad. Uh, I can get away with this. And we start to rationalize in our head that maybe these things are actually good for me. Maybe uh, there's actually some good coming out of this. But really, you're just trying to fill the void with something that's missing. And once you've done that, you've fallen into the trap of what tempts you. And you realize that you might not want to leave after all. So we, we find out there's an easier way to get things like love. We find an easier way to get things like joy and peace and patience. And we're trying to get something we don't have the fast way. It's our materialistic minds that, that this culture has given to us. And we take, the, we take uh, these quick thrills and just run with them. And so we're getting something that's fake and not actually satisfying. And these fruits of the flesh don't accomplish anything and are ultimately just an insult to God. And so whenever we start taking hold of these fruits of the flesh, they start degrading our mind and they hurt our physical hopes uh, in the bad habits that they produce and they also start uh, hurting our spiritual hopes as well. And so once we start putting all these bad things into our head, Mr. Smith used to teach the high school, he said, garbage in, garbage out. If you put garbage into your head, you're going to get garbage out at some point. It's bound to spill out. And so um, it'll, it'll be things like we'll take anger out on someone, or we'll let a word slip while we're at home with family, uh, or we'll start believing the lies that we tell, tell ourselves, that we're not good enough or that we're not worthy enough. And so that's why you can't take shortcuts whenever, whenever it comes to fruits of the Spirit. Whenever it comes to success, there are no shortcuts. And trying to figure out things on your own is a shortcut. And there, you, can't, you can't say that uh, you can find love when, when God's not there. You can't say that you can find peace uh, when God's not there. You can't say that you can find real joy when God's not there. And you can't say that you find real self-control or anything like that if God's not there. And so the only way we get real results is to stop thinking in terms of that we, that we can do this all by ourselves. And you can't put in earthly efforts and expect heavenly results. So why do we try to get these things from earth, like love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control, when the real source of these qualities is from the Spirit and from God? And I believe the real reason is because what we see the world offering is tangible. Uh, we see it as as quick and easy and accessible, but what's offered after life is a little too far away, and it's a little too, we're a little too disconnected from it, and it doesn't seem real, and heaven isn't quick enough to fill our human desires. You guys might know the name Sigmund Freud. Uh, he was a psychologist during the 1800s, uh, and he uh, was, he paved the way for modern psychology uh, and one of his main theories of the mind was that there are three levels to your mind. 
You have the most primitive, which is called the id. You have your ego, which is more of your everyday conscience. And then you have your superego, which is more of the moralistic, higher-up uh, thinking that you have. And Sigmund Freud basically told us the way to stop thinking about the fruits of the flesh and start getting onto the path of the fruit of the Spirit. Some psychologist that lived 100 years ago, he, he did all this for us. And um, what he, his solution was that if we start being intentional with things, if you start thinking about what you want and what you want to do, then you'll overcome that, that id, that uh, need for gratitude, for instant pleasure. And so this is why there are no shortcuts. We have to actively engage in um, what we know to be right and can't let what we want as humans to turn us away from what we should do. And so this is where our work comes in. So how do we start producing uh, fruits of the Spirit? Well, we have to start consciously thinking about what we do and why we're doing it. You ever ask a kid why they did something stupid? Their answer is, I don't know. And that's, that's kind of what we do. We start doing something bad, and if you, if you can ask yourself, why am I doing this, and your answer is, I don't really know, it's probably not a good thing to be doing. And so next, you have to surround yourself with good influences. Spend time in God's Word. Spend time talking about it with other people, and spend time praying. Anything that can take the reliability off of you and put it onto someone else or put it onto God is a help. Uh, all you have to start to doing to produce the fruit of the Spirit is stay connected with God and what He says. He won't lead you astray and He won't play any tricks on you. If what you're doing or saying is from your own, uh, from your own self, then there's no way it can be a fruit that is from God or from the Spirit. And don't let the world trick you into thinking that their way is all right. The only thing that's keeping you from staying on the right track is you and your mind. God's on your side and that's all you need. And don't let your desires ruin this for you because it's not worth it. It's not, worth, it's not worth it while we're alive to keep these bad habits that are damaging to ourselves physically. And it sure uh, is, not, is not worth it for the life after this. And so we need to keep these things in the perspective that they need to be in. A godly person will produce the fruits of the Spirit and only that. And they'll get you through this life in the most natural way possible. You won't need any help from anything other than what God puts into your life for you to work with. And we can experience uh, love, joy, peace, patience, all these things with nothing other than the life we live. And how amazing is it that we, uh, that we get to love others in a way that no one else can because God died for us, or because Jesus died for us and God sent him. Uh, how amazing is it that we can wake up stress-free because we know the ending to our story, and we know where we're going after this. And how amazing it, is it that we can be joyful just by waking up and getting the opportunity to live for God? And I can go on and on, but I'll stop there. And uh, I just want to say that let's start being more mindful of the fruit that we produce. Let's start thinking about it more and overcoming that instant pleasure that we want so badly. And stop giving in to what the world tries to offer us. Um, the fruits of the Spirit aren't, aren't a chore. They're a byproduct and a blessing that comes from believing and doing what God has told us to. So let's rejoice in that fact and strive to live for Him because of uh, the greatness that is God. Thank you. Thank you, Austin. Thank you, Zane. I'm very proud of the both of you. I've said this before, and I believe it with all my heart, that not just these two, but... There are many young men who come through our preacher training camp that could go fill a pulpit somewhere today and do a really good job. 
Um, these guys are ultra talented and it's because of their parents and the support they have at home most times. It's because of our elders and the support of this church family and hopefully all the great and wonderful teachers that we bring in for our preacher training camp that work with them as well. And like I said, these are the two that took advantage of the opportunity this time. We'll have uh, more of them that you'll get to hear from as we go forward. I want to thank you too for the work you put in. One thing that we are trying to um, work with with our more seasoned veterans at preacher training camp because we have some younger ones that come through that are just learning how to get up there and stand behind a podium and not faint, you know. But uh, for our more seasoned guys, uh, like these guys, Landon and Lane and some of them, is we're trying to get them to go deeper and to understand that, you know, don't stay on the surface. Let's dig into the Word. Let's dig into the text. Some of you may not even know what the word exegesis is, but trying to teach them what it means to exegete a passage and things like that. And I think they're, I think they're doing a great job. So I'm proud of them. We, we don't want to end tonight without an invitation. And I know that uh, what both of these young men said had some really good truths in it. And uh, if you need to... Uh, you know, come forward tonight if you need the prayers of this church family, if you need some love and support, if, if you're ready to study the Bible with someone, if you're ready to put on Christ in baptism, we want you to take advantage of that opportunity. And we say it every week and we mean it. We don't want you to leave here tonight without being right with God. Um, don't play Russian roulette with your soul. Be right with God before you leave here tonight because we're all born with an expiration date. And we don't know when it's going to come due. Mike's going to lead us in a song. We'd ask that you come if you have a need while we stand and sing.